Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. I am your host, Tate Frazier, and boy, oh boy, do we have a jam-packed show today. First up, we're going to talk NBA with the Ringer's very own Rob Mahoney. He's going to break down what we've seen so far in the play-in, forecast some matchups in the playoffs. That's going to be a lot of fun. We're also going to have the Ringer's Ben Solak come on. He's going to break down his 100% correct, you heard me right, 100% correct mock draft and forecast what's ahead uh, as we look ahead to the NFL draft. That's going to be fun. And finally, we're going to have some real fun, some prop culture. We're going to have Van Lathan from Higher Learning come on the show. We're going to talk about who actually is a part of the succession plan on succession and some, you know, NBA drama that's going on on Twitter right now. So we got a jam-packed show for you. We're excited to get into it. Now let's go right now to the Ringer's very own Rob Mahoney. All right, we're back on Through the Ringer, and now we are joined by the Ringer's Rob Mahoney, a man who has kept us up to date on all things play-in, playoffs, NBA regular season themes, all the above. Rob, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Yeah, of course, anytime. Well, uh, we're going to be talking a lot uh, as the playoffs uh, get going, obviously, and you know this. Um, and we got a lot of conversations because anytime you know we're in Los Angeles here, anytime the Lakers play, uh, there's a lot of drama, there's a lot of conversation. Um, and in the play-in game against the Minnesota Minnesota Timberwolves, they're obviously down at halftime. Carl Towns is playing an amazing game. Everyone's he's the talk of the town, right? Everyone's like, "How look how amazing he looks!" The Timberwolves are going to make this happen without Rudy Gobert. We get to the second half. Schroeder hits a big shot and. Anthony Davis has a, an inexplicable foul. So I wanted to start there with you. What was your, your initial reaction when you saw that happen in real time? Because I thought that was like a, that was like a snapshot moment of kind of this Lakers season where it's just confounding, right? It, it just makes no sense. I mean, it was a perfect intersection of the Lakers weird season of the Wolves weird season <laughs> right. into a completely ugly and like riveting, but kind of unwatchable game in which all of these really talented players are just making mistakes all over the place. And that's, honestly kind of where the Lakers are like they are a team that needs to win ugly in a lot of cases they don't have overwhelming firepower they have they don't have an, a half-court offense that's gonna you know bring you to basketball nirvana they have LeBron James and they have Anthony Davis and they have a supporting cast that's good enough to give them a puncher's chance in a game like this and I guess we'll see in a playoff series against the Grizzlies yeah, I love that uh, after the game, you know, they, they cut back to the studio and Ernie Johnson goes, are you not entertained? And uh, Barkley's <laughs> like, I was not entertained. That was actually an ugly <laughs> basketball game. Uh, I, I like that, uh, you know, that honesty. Obviously, that's what we expect from Chuck a little bit. But um, in general, that game, like you said, it was a bit of a mess. And But the good news, if you're an L.A. fan, is you survive. I mean, Schroeder hit a big shot late. Um, I liked after the game, LeBron was like, A.D. almost messed up his, his big shot. You know, he basically blew it for him. Um, the accountability of this team, it does seem like there's more of that with this new Lakers group, right? Or am I buying a little bit, a little bit too much into a play-in win? No, I don't. Th- I don't think you're buying too much into it at all. I mean, if you flash back to, especially around like Christmas time, the Lakers every post game was just 
a dirge, right? It was like people mm-hmm. side-eyeing at each other, a complete lack of the accountability you're talking about, even though that one's kind of in a joking way, putting AD on the spot there. But there's something to that, right? There's something to right. the fact that this is a team that they do hold each other accountable. And most importantly, now they're deep enough to where if you are having a bad game, if you're D'Angelo Russell having a rough night, it's okay. Dennis Schroeder's going to come in. He's going to hit the big shot in your place. You can have a collective sense of that accountability and the ability to kind of prop each other up in the process. Yeah, and I like Hachimura off the bench last night. I thought he had a really solid game. I thought him and Schroeder actually helped flip the game for the Lakers, which there's a little bit of an irony in that, and that's what they've been looking for, some of that depth. Um, So now as we forecast to the future, we have a matchup that Dylan Brooks said he wanted. Um, He said, quote, I wouldn't mind playing LeBron uh, and would like to knock them out right away in the first round. And now we have that matchup. We have the Grizzlies, who finished second in the West, obviously record-wise, but now they're the sixth best odds to win the West. So they obviously feel like a little bit disrespectful there. I've seen some comments about, you know, how their feelings on the way that people perceive them. And now they're facing a Lakers team that has become kind of the hot pick out of the West. What do you see in this matchup and what can we expect in this matchup between, you know, LeBron's Lakers versus this Grizzlies team? I mean, it definitely seems like the preferable of the options for the Lakers, right? If you're going to mm-hmm. choose between the Grizzlies and the Nuggets, who was the other option on the board, if they had fallen into the eighth seed, this is what you would prefer. But it's probably not a good enough matchup for the Lakers to actually win. It's good enough for it to be close. And a lot of that has to do with some of the equalizing factors here beyond the Lakers playing really well. You know, no Steven Adams for the Grizzlies. He's been out with a PCL injury. No Brandon Clark for the Grizzlies, who's been out for a long time now with an Achilles injury. That means we're going to get a lot of what might be the juiciest one-on-one matchup in the first round. Jaron Jackson Jr., maybe the defensive player of the year. Anthony Davis, who's had an incredible second half of the year. If those guys can actually stay on the floor long enough to duke it out, I think we're going to get some really great basketball out of them. Not, you know, to say nothing of the theatrics and the kind of tertiary characters that show up sideline in Staples and things like that. Sorry, sideline at Crypto.com Arena and things like that. <laughs> I appreciate you, you know, correcting that for everyone at home so they can stay up to date on what we got going out here in Los Angeles. A little ridiculous, <laughs> but I, I like what you said there. I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr., Anthony Davis, when Anthony Davis is healthy, he is one of the best, if not the best rim protectors. You know, you're talking about Brooke Lopez, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and then you're talking about a Jaron Jackson Jr., right? They're all kind of, maybe Evan Mobley's in that group as well, but there, there's yep. a class of rim protection that is elite, elite, and we could see that in this series. There's also a guy that I think is under the radar that just got boosted up from the G League who scored 42 points in the final regular season game. What about Kenny Lofton Jr.? Is there a <laughs> chance we get like a little Zebo, like mini Zebo redemption in the series where he's like a nice little X factor for the Grizzlies? Because I kind of buy into that. Honestly, I would love it. Kenny Lofton Jr. is like an NBA nerd's dream, certainly a college <laughs> basketball nerd's dream. That's me. That, I'm in love with this man. I'm like, but how know, is he not on a team? How is he not a lottery pick? <laughs> this is where we meet on Kenny Lofton Jr., and, and I think there is some possibility more than most, just because Taylor Jenkins, the Grizzlies coach, does go deeper into his bench than basically any other coach out there. So the idea that he could get rolled out in a game four, just like a let's see what you got because Xavier Tillman isn't cutting it tonight. I'm not ruling it out. I think mm-hmm. we're going to focus more on the stars and especially on the Lakers side. Like that's going to be the contrast here. The Grizzlies, have, even with their injury situation, are going to be a deeper team. The Lakers, as we saw against the Wolves, they needed like 88 combined minutes from AD and LeBron in that game. I know it went to overtime, but that's kind of what the formula is, is a lot of LeBron, a lot of AD. They're going to have to be on the floor for a ton of minutes, a ton of time, a ton of leverage. We'll see if LeBron and, and his foot are up for that. We'll see if AD at this point is up for that in the season. These guys have been sprinting to the finish to get here. 
who who could blame them if they were a little out of gas against a team as energetic and, and chaotic sometimes as the Grizzlies? Yeah, it's a lot of pressure on the LeBron of foot doctors um, <laughs> to see if his work is going to hold up in the playoffs. Everyone's, you know, going to keep an eye on that. Um, speaking of stars, I think this is obviously the most star-studded first-round series in the West. We're talking, of course, about the L.A. Clippers, the Phoenix Suns. Podcast P said he might be back in the middle of this series. We're not sure, um, but we're keeping an eye on that. Um, in general, you know, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, right? We got all the names in this series, but as far as the basketball, what do you expect to see? Because this feels like it's going to be, if not the best first round series, surely a high quality first round series. I mean, I expect to see the Suns for really the first time, right? Mm -hmm. Like we've only seen Durant and Booker and Chris Paul on the floor for a little less than 200 minutes together so far. Nothing in NBA terms. We really have no idea how this group is going to function. Only these glimpses as Katie has been kind of ramping up from various injuries. So it'd be nice to just see what they've got. Right. And the Clippers are a good test as a team who can be kind of a chameleon. Like they have a lot of adaptable pieces. They have a lot of lineup options they can throw at the Suns. Obviously, they have Kawhi Leonard. So we're going to get, you know, top line, a battle of incredible isolation scores, incredible one on one scores going at each other, whether or not Paul George plays, even if it's just Kawhi going up against Durant and Booker and those guys. But below the line, we're going to see what the Suns are. And if this is really a contender or if this is a team that is still kind of like a piece or two away. Yeah, and the the old adage or the old wisdom, like if you talk to a, an NBA guy from, you know, the 90s, early 2000s, whatever it is, they're like, a, a team, a, a nucleus needs 20 games with each other. And like mm. you said, they're under 200 minutes. So, I mean, they're going to break basketball. It, it's kind of funny to me with the Kevin Durant story. I felt like in Brooklyn... He weirdly tried to break basketball. That team did where they were like, we don't need defense to win a championship, right? We can just beat you with offense. And now they have these three mid-range elite scorers and Chris Paul, Devin Booker and himself. And they but they are breaking traditional wisdom of like, you need to have continuity. You need to have some connective tissue there. So if they go and win the West and get to the finals, I feel like once again, like he may have broken basketball. Like, Am, <laughs> am I reading too much into that? Because it does seem insane that they could actually make this happen. And yet they might, right? Like this is the kind of season where no team in the West, the Nuggets, the number one seed included, have really solidified themselves as being the contender to beat. So mm -hmm. the Suns do have a chance. They have a chance to get there. We'll see, you know, if they do, how they match up with some of these giants out East. But this is the year to do it, right? This is the year to put that theory to the test. And the idea that, you know, what the Suns gave up in trading for Durant in the first place is not just good players like Mikhail Bridges. It's not a bunch of draft picks out the door. It's the timing, as you're saying, of that deal. I'm like, can this work? Making a trade for that kind of player in February, running into, I mean, really a limited window here, right? KD is at the point in his career where you have to be competitive every time out, and we're about to see if the Suns have it. And I just want to point out, Ty Lue is a guy who went up against Kevin Durant in the finals, has worked on trying to limit Kevin Durant, knows Kevin yep. Durant, his spots on the floor, knows what he wants to do, knows his game very well. And I think Ty Lue, I mean, he gets almost lost in the conversation sometimes when we talk about playoff coaches, but the way that he's able to expose matchups and get guys uncomfortable, make them do what they don't want to do, and especially if he knows somebody, I, I think the Clippers are going to be fascinating in this series, especially when you have a guy like Kawhi and potentially PG that comes back, you can throw at Kevin Durant. So uh, I, I'm excited about that series. It's going to be fun in the West.
We have some real contenders in the Eastern Conference. Um, one of those teams that tra- traditionally is in the East, obviously, you know, they lost uh, the Miami Heat. They lost to uh, the Hawks. Um, the Hawks got a little bit uh, of a situation where they showed some fortitude, right? Trey Young, you know, tried to have a little Kobe press conference moment where he's like, we don't care about the play in. We care about winning playoff games. I thought that was nice. Nice touch there. But um, what did you see from the Hawks? Are they one of those teams that, you know, they made the Eastern Conference finals in 2021. We've seen Trey Young, you know, farewell in the playoffs. Are the Hawks legit? Because I like Sadiq Bay. I thought that was a nice pickup and they look yeah. pretty good. You know, Clint Capella had some moments defensively talk about rim protection. Uh, I like what I saw from the Hawks against the heat. Yeah. I mean, certainly a very pleasant surprise just in terms of the Hawks playing up to their ability, something they haven't really been able to do consistently this season, but you're right about Sadiq Bay. And I think we're seeing kind of two big midseason changes for them pay off. One is that trade to get Bay in the first place. The other, their midseason coaching change, hiring right. Quinn Snyder into that spot, because those two things to me feel like the difference between the way Atlanta like locked into a spot in the playoffs, overwhelmed the Heat, a team that had historically give them a lot of trouble, and Trey in particular, a lot of trouble. The difference between that and really being forced into another must-win game with their season on the line if they had lost. like It really does feel like those two moves in the middle of the season changed a lot for where Atlanta is now and allowed them to be at least a more competitive team in these contexts. Like, Are we going to say they're going to beat the Celtics? I think that would be a little bit insane at this juncture, given Atlanta's track record. But Mm. they've put themselves in a position to prove something, which is more than I think a lot of people would have thought of them even a few months ago. And there's also, you mentioned the Heat and teams that they give trouble. We all remember the bubble. They gave Giannis fits. And I think a lot of times when you see the matchup, and obviously Giannis got his revenge when, when they met up uh, the following year. But just in general, if the Heat end up slotting in there and playing the Bucks in a 1-8 matchup, is there any Pat Riley magic there? Is there any Udonis Haslam magic there where the Miami Heat make the Bucks get pushed a little bit where they have to say, oh, wait, we're not just going to be able to cruise and sweep the first round here? I would love to see it, but honestly, that matchup has felt different since that Giannis Revenge series, right? Like, it does mm-hmm. feel like he evolved over the course of that and he figured some stuff out. And this Bucks team in particular, for all of their flaws, they know how to use their size. And it's not just Giannis pounding and attacking inside. It's Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis just like bullying guys whenever they get the opportunity. And this Heat team, as we saw in the game against the Hawks, they are really small, right? Like if you can pull Bam out of bio, out of position a little bit, there's not a lot of size resistance there. I just have a hard time thinking that the Heat are going to be able to overcome something like that, even if they even if they punch their ticket through to the playoffs. And I like Cody Zeller offensively, you know, running pick and roll with Jimmy Butler. I think they have a nice little, you know, re- repertoire with each other. I like the yep. way that they can kind of find each other. But like you said, for whatever reason, Cody Zeller looks 6'9 out there. Bam looks 6'9 out there. You know, it's like that frontline size of the Bucks. I mean, as, you know, kind of like I was talking about old adages in the NBA, you need tall teams, you need bigs. They, they have the bigs, and it doesn't look like Miami really has the bigs to match up with them. So that'll be an inter- interesting matchup. Uh, speaking of interesting matchups in the East, another 4-5 matchup that I think everyone's talking about, mainly because the Cavaliers uh, have gotten the respect uh, of the odds makers, right? They expect the Cavs to win this series pretty handily. Um, the New York media just caught wind of that. They are up in arms. <laughs> they are, I don't know what's going to happen, but they are upset. Um, so now we got Jalen Brunson, the Knicks, you know, a team that everyone kind of has fallen in love with a little bit. You know, they're, they're the blue collar team here. They're going to go against the Cavs. Donovan Mitchell famously wanted to go to the Knicks, or that was the rumor. Now he's in Cleveland going up against the Knicks in the playoffs. What do you see here? I'm excited to see Evan Mobley, but what is this matchup going to look like? And, and do we expect to see Julius Randle? Because that's another wrinkle in this series that no one really knows. 
Yeah, I mean, I love the way that this matchup in particular has played out in the sense of Cleveland, this elite defensive team against the Knicks, who have been, I don't know, you know, if you've been napping all season fans out there, I repeat, the Knicks, an elite <laughs> offensive team in the NBA right now, that this is what we want out of the first round, right? Like styles make fights, these two contrasts, and a team that, to me, in Cleveland profiles to the odds makers benefit as being a cleanly better team, right? Like this is one of the best teams in the whole NBA by point differential all season long in the Cavaliers. But this is a perfect test case for them, a perfect test case for that theory. Make them prove that by having to stop Jalen Brunson from knifing into the, lead, into the lane. You know, make them, make Donovan Mitchell have to overcome some really solid perimeter defenders and guys like Quentin Grimes and Emmanuel quickly. Let's see how Cleveland's bigs fare against a team that wants to fight them on the glass. And then we have the Julius Randle factor, who I would love if we, he could walk into this series healthy. We'll see. You know, he's, he's reportedly out of the boot on his foot. He's reportedly starting to participate in some parts of practice. It was kind of a nasty ankle injury that sidelined him in the first place. So we'll see kind of what he's able to do. But we know when the Knicks were healthy, when he was Julius Randle, the all-NBA version we've seen this season, that's a guy who could give the Cavs a lot of trouble. And if he's less than that, I, things could kind of go off the rails for them, unfortunately. So do you think that's partially why the odds maybe are so much in the favor of Cleveland? Are they factoring in Julius Randle being out? Is he that much of a difference? Because, you know, it's kind of the funny running joke. People like to say Julius Randle this, you know, he's not good, yada, yada. You know, we all remember the thumbs down thing. But like Julius Randle is a legit, you know, number three, number two guy on, on a top level team. We all know he has the ability, the capability to, to make things happen. So is he the one that's really driving that, that range of difference? And, and what the odds makers expect. Um, because I think that's what I read into it when I first saw it. I thought the same. And a lot of it is just like, he is such a big part of the swing piece for them. Like this mm -hmm. is a team in the Knicks that has a pretty good bench that can kind of, you know, batten down the hatches and make things work and try to kind of hold course until he gets back. But if we're talking about missing multiple games of a four or five matchup that just by the nature of its seeding is destined to be pretty close, destined to be pretty tight. You're going in with a bit of a talent disadvantage just because Cleveland has such a strong core. That's a lot to ask of the rest of this team to pick up that kind of slack. You need Randall and you need his production, right? Like you may, you may not always agree with the way he gets his points, with the way he operates, with his, you know, defensive attention level on possession to possession, but like you need that volume of scoring and rebounding and playmaking to make this work. And if he's going to be missing significant time, that's going to be a huge swing. I'm just excited. We get MSG. We get Donovan Mitchell in MSG. We get Jalen Brunson. I feel like Derrick Rose walked so Jalen Brunson could fly in a playoff <laughs> series for the Knicks. You know what I mean? That, that's what this feels like a little bit. So I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch that series all play out. Um, Rob, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for joining us. Where can the people find your work? I want to keep everyone tuned in as uh, you know all this crazy playoff stuff uh, you know unfolds the rest of the way. Right. Find me and all of our colleagues at TheRinger.com. Listen to us on the Ringer NBA show. I'm on a show twice a week, group chat, Wednesdays and Sundays. Come listen along. Yeah, can't wait. And uh, you're going to be doing that, you know, after the games. And you're, it's going to be a lot, you know, emergency podcasts. We love those here Absolutely. at the Ringer. So every single time they come out, you can go listen. Uh, that is uh, NBA group chat. Great show. Appreciate you coming on the show, Rob. It's been a lot of fun. And we'll have you back soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Tate. All right, joining us now on Through the Ringer, he is the Ringer's very own NFL expert. You can see him on the NFL Draft Show. You can see him on the Ringer NFL Show. You can find him on Twitter. His name is Benjamin Solak. And Ben, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. No, I appreciate it, Tate. It's a fun time of year, man. 
it's the best time of year because we have no games really to talk about. We have a lot of speculation to talk about. And obviously, once we get to the NFL draft, we have mock season, right? A lot of mock drafts. I want to talk about your mock draft, which I've seen is perfectly correct. A lot of people are saying this all over the internet. So congratulations to you for getting it's that done. It's crazy. So many people, when they put out mocks, they decide to not make them 100% correct. I never understood that. Right. I'm always, a, personally for me, 100% correct every time. Yeah, I love that. I, I love the accuracy. That's what the people want. They, they want some tried and true tradition there with your mock draft. But uh, the question I really had for you was about the QBs, right? Everyone's talking mm-hmm. about the quarterbacks, talking about the number one pick, my Carolina Panthers. What are they going to do with the number one pick? The last time we saw them there, obviously, they got Cam Newton. That was a great time. There's a quarterback in the draft that's getting some Cam Newton comparisons. Obviously, was at Florida, like Cam Newton once upon a time, has some physical yep. attributes. You really like him. His name is Anthony Richardson. And I want to start there we're going to talk about the actual pick at number one but what do you like so much about anthony richardson yeah i got anthony richardson no matter what written up on the board up here right <laughs> a little draft there for you i didn't know you were a right. panthers guy this is gonna just change my change my perspective a little bit i gotta be careful now. right uh with richardson when we talk about the draft it, it's always very tempting to be like okay well who do you have graded the highest who's qb1 right mm. and in reality what we should one of the things that we have to talk about one of the frameworks we have to use is range of outcomes right uh, a, a nice way of thinking about it is you have four top quarterbacks, Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Will Levis. What if I came from the future? I told you every single one of them hit all of them were, were hit the good end of their range of outcomes. Who would you like to have? The answer is mm. unquestionably Richardson. He's six foot four, 240. He's one of the most athletic, if not the most athletic quarterback to ever come through the NFL combine. He's a true dual threat in a league that where the, the meta of quarterbacking is moving so much to mobility. He has a Josh Allen level arm and he has like moments of processing. There's this myth that he's like a, a Trey Lance level prospect. That is not the case that like he, he has some polish to him. He's still, Need a little spit shine, got to sand out some of those rough edges, but he's getting there in terms of developing. And so when 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 you have the first overall pick and you start looking at Bryce Young, who's a size outlier, and you're looking at C.J. Stroud, who's a great prospect but limited mobility, and then you see Richardson and you realize, okay, if this guy hits, he's, he's not going to be the 10th best quarterback. He's going to be a top five quarterback. He's going to be challenging Josh Allen, challenging Justin Herbert. He's going to be in that Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow tier. He's going to be among those greats. How could you want somebody else at one? If you trust Frank Reich, if you trust the staff, to me, that's the direction that I would want to go. I'd want to take the big swing. In the NFL, we see it. Rookie contract quarterbacks. That's your winning window. I'd, I want a high-tail guy. I want a high-range-of-outcomes guy. I want to do with the ceiling. That's Anthony Richardson. All right, so when you talk about the range of outcomes, and I think about this draft, I think about the greatest quarterback draft ever, right? 1983 with John Elway, Jim Kelly, right? Six quarterbacks in the first round. And then I think about the bottom of the barrel, which is the 2013 draft with EJ Manuel as the only quarterback that goes in the first round, right? So if we're looking at that as that is the range of outcomes in the spectrum, where would you put this class of quarterbacks? You mentioned four guys. I've seen some mock drafts that have four quarterbacks going first. We can talk about that and and, and Mm -hmm. what that looks like. But how do you grade this class of quarterbacks if we look at that scale between the EJ Manuel and the greatest class of all time? Are we somewhere in the yeah. middle or are we closer to the 83 class? We're, we're closer to the top. Uh, you don't typically see quarterbacks go one, two, three, right? It happened in mm-hmm. uh, 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 2021 when you had uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence into Zach Wilson into Trey Lance. It happened uh, next most recently in 99, uh, which was uh, uh, McNabb, Akili Smith, and a third quarterback whose name I definitely remember. Um, but you, the, you don't see it happen super <laughs> often where quarterbacks go one, two, three. Uh, this year, that's quite likely. You're going to see quarterback at one 
Very good chance you get quarterback at two with the Texans. So that's something that's been put into question over the last few weeks. And then the Cardinals at three, man. I mean, the, the Cardinals, Adam Schefter uh, tweeted out yesterday, uh, the Cardinals have had six teams call them, trade up to number three. Oh, the Cardinals just overwhelmed with trade offers. Please stop calling us offering <laughs> trades for the third overall pick. The Cardinals want to get out of the pick is the moral of the story. They'd like to trade it mm-hmm. and have somebody come up and get a quarterback. Uh, I think you're going to see three quarterbacks go in the first three picks. Then there's a the potential for quarterback four to go off the board for the Colts at four. So a lot of need, and the quarterbacks are going to go really highly, potentially historically highly. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a good class, though. When you look at it, uh, there's nobody I'm, I'm head over heels for. I know I just sang Anthony Richardson's praises, but a lot of that is, is a year away. Can you develop him? Everybody in this class, from Richardson to Young, Stroud, and Levis, is very likable. All of them look like NFL guys. Any one of these dudes was in the draft last year, they're going before Kenny Pickett, right? These are these are legit guys. These are starters. None of them, I think, are Trevor Lawrence's, Andrew Lux, John Elway's. So we're a step below mm. those classes where you're seeing guys at first overall who are like, yeah, like Hall of Famer, let's do it. But it's a very solid class, and I think you can get four solid to plus starters out of this group if everybody lands at a home that works for them. Yeah, so let's talk about your mock draft because you have quarterbacks going one, two, three, four, which I, I you know, that jumped off to me, jumped off the page. You know, 100% correct, so we have to dive into it. And number one, it seems like a, a foregone conclusion at this point. It wasn't a couple weeks ago, but I feel like it is now because we heard the story, right? David Tepper, he went into Nick Saban's office. He didn't have the GM in there. He closed the door yeah. and he said, tell me about Bryce Young. And uh, apparently he was sold the bill of goods. Nick Saban said he's QB1. You got to take him at number one. He's special. They're calling him the step. Stephen Curry of the NFL in the future, all types of things, all types of exaggerations, hyperbole. What do you read between the lines there? And what do you see for Bryce Young? And why does it make sense that Carolina would take him number one? Yeah. So the the Carolina timeline moving up to one overall and then landing on the quarterback that they want to take there is really important. It's a defining characteristic of this year's draft. Remember, the Bears previously owned the first overall pick and coming into the combine and entering free agency in the middle of March. Ryan Poles, the GM of the Bears, made it extremely clear. I want to trade this pick now. He basically was saying, hey, I need to know if I need to go get a receiver in free agency or not. I'd rather trade for one. He was talking with the Colts about Michael Pittman. He was talking with the Panthers about DJ Moore. So the Panthers, in order to get the first overall pick, had to trade with the Bears in early mid-March. They couldn't do it now because the Bears were selling the pick. It was going to be gone. So the Panthers made that move knowing that there was at least a dude that they liked enough to make him the pick. And that guy was CJ Stroud. When you go and you look at, at, at the betting markets immediately afterwards, Stroud jumped up minus 200, minus 250, minus 300 favorite to be the first overall pick there in March. But there's a month left of the process. There's all the pro days to go through. There's critically, as you brought up, the ownership meetings where ownership sits down with these players and bring them into the facility and take them out to dinner before their pro day. And they talk to the guys. And whenever the owners get involved, doesn't really matter who the offensive coordinator likes anymore. It doesn't really matter who the Northeast regional scout likes. Once the owners get involved, that guy's paying the bills. He's making the pick. Uh, and what you saw was after the Panthers went through their carousel of, of, of quarterbacks uh, on their pro days, they went and talked to everybody. You started to hear some Bryce Young hype. You started to hear the, oh, the Texans are preparing for Bryce Young not to be there at two. You started to see the odds swing towards Bryce Young. And then over the last week, Young has dramatically overtaken C.J. Stroud to be the favorite. He's now the heavy favorite to be the first overall pick. I don't think the hay is in the barn. I don't think he's he's the guy 100%. But as they went through their process, they knew, okay, we like Stroud enough to take him at one, but we're going to go through this process altogether. And when they did, they seemed to have landed on Young as their guy. It's a bold swing. 
I think it's largely being driven by ownership and not the football operations, which is never super great. But hey, <laughs> very successful player in Alabama. Uh, and there's a lot to like on his film. And so I don't fault them for making him the first overall pick. It's uh, a hefty price to pay for a quarterback who's about your or my size. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, it's one of those things where I, uh, I, I seemingly have bought in as a fan. You know what I mean? We, yeah, we try yeah. to do this as journalists, but as a fan of the Carolina Panthers, for whatever reason, I'm a Bryce Young guy. I want Bryce Young in the building. I think he's a winner. Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. has even helped embolden that opinion of mine, which is probably insane. Mac Jones is not, but you know, Jalen Hurts has. Just, don't Sorry, worry about Kyle, that. Kyle's fine. over there. He's upset about that. Yeah. Uh, but in general, I, I'm a Bryce Young guy, so I'm excited about that. There's one other quarterback I wanted to talk to you about. I've seen a lot of people talking about him in the first round, Hendon Hooker, mm-hmm. who who America fell in love with this year before he got hurt at Tennessee. I saw him yeah. mocked on your mock at 24th. Is there a world in which Hendon Hooker comes out of this draft as the real winner in this quarterback group? Yeah, I mean, the Hooker hype's been something. Holy smokes. <laughs> it you, really has. You, you tell me, 25-year-old quarterback with an ACL injury, I'm calling you on day three, brother. Uh, I, I like that. It is a, uh, it, it, even for the, the Heisman hype, even for the production, it, it's a surprising rise to see. Hooker's got NFL size, NFL measurables, NFL movement skills, and he's got a big arm, right? He's got a deep arm. And so he's checking mm-hmm. a lot of the like general boxes, right? Okay. He's got like all this like nice big stuff that we like here in the league. Uh, I'm typically am hesitant around players who started to dominate at the college level when they were a couple years older than everybody else, right? Hooker's 24 this season with multiple years of experience, just dunking on like 19 year olds and like, yeah, I would hope so. Like that, 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 there was a similar sensation with Kenny Pickett at Pitt. We're like, all right, why is your only season as a producer when you have like a big age and experience advantage? It's a little bit of a red flag. And then obviously the injury mm. creates a, a red flag as well. With that said, I mean, over four and a half quarterbacks right now in the first round is like under plus 200. It's like nearing like a 40% chance implied probability. Like the hooker hype is absolutely legitimate. He's been in to visit the Lions who... Need a developmental quarterback. The Lions quarterback room right now is Jared Goff and Nate Sudfeld, which is to say that the Lions are not (laughs) done adding at the position. They have 18 overall, right? So they have that pick in the middle of the first round. Vikings at 24 have met with him. They've got Kirk Cousins. One year left on his deal. Didn't extend him. He's over 30. There's just a lot of teams. Titans, Ryan Tannehill, Commanders, Jacoby Brissett. There's just a lot of teams somewhere in the teens, early 20s who have placeholders at quarterback. And they're presuming not getting one of the top four guys because those dudes are going to fly off the board. I, If you made me pick right now, I don't think Hooker's a first-round pick because I personally can't get my head around it. But there's a lot of buzz about it. And I think that we're going to hear a lot more about it over the next couple of weeks in terms of who likes him, who might trade up for him, so on and so forth. Yeah, well, there you have it. He's a very bright guy. He's going to keep us up to date on all things NFL draft. His name is Ben Solak. And Ben, hopefully we'll get you out here to L.A. We can talk in person. We don't have to do this over Zoom. And uh, the NFL draft is coming up soon. Stay tuned. Uh, Where can everyone find your work just so they can keep up to date on what's going on? Yeah, Ringer NFL Draft Show. If you want more of that nonsense, we're doing it two times a week. Ringer NFL Show for the regular stuff. And then, yeah, on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. And uh, we're doing draft content all the way through. It's the last two weeks where, like, everybody's just making up things now, right? We're just, like, lying and making (laughs) up takes for fun. you got to entertain ourselves somehow. The draft should absolutely have already happened, but we're still waiting. So it's a good time out here in these streets. I love it. I love it. Well, there you have it. Thanks so much, Ben. Appreciate it, Tate.
All right, welcome back to Through the Ringer. And for our final segment today, we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to do some prop culture, uh, which is a nice pun there, a nice play on words. And we're joined by Higher Learning's very own Van Lathan. Van Lathan, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Thank you for having me, Tate. <laughs> it's great to be here with you, man. And, uh, you know, we watched some college basketball games with each other during March Madness, got friendly, had some great conversations. And uh, over that time, you know, there's been a great TV show that has come on that I don't know if you've, you know, we all know about this, obviously, Succession. Um, and spoiler alert, we're going to talk about what happened on Sunday's episode, the third episode of the season. We have seven more episodes left, but officially, um, and if you haven't seen it, you know, change the channel right now before we get into this. But we have uh, a Succession plan and we have some succession odds obviously the name of the, the show is succession we know that this was inevitable this was happening before we get into the props themselves van what was your initial reaction when you saw sunday's episode um if i'm honest it was a tough watch right uh i'll tell you why i'm not going to bring the podcast down but this was the one of the most realistic episodes of television i've ever seen mm. that call i've gotten that call like, I got that call in real life, that call that, hey, this happened to this person that you love, your father. And the parallel, like how you're paralyzed and mm. you're wondering, he, there was one line in the show. It happened to me in 2021. I lost my dad. But there was one line in the show where uh, Ken goes, what we do right now will be what we did when we got this news. And that's exactly the way you feel. You're like, ah, I gotta get together, gotta do it, whatever. Just an amazing episode of television. But Tate, one that I will never watch again. Like, right. Never. Right, right. Like, crazy. What, what, what about you? What'd you think of? No, I was going to say, it's very, like, it's so human, right? And it was uncomfortable how human it was. And I thought, like, the dialogue that was delivered, the ums, the, the I'm not sure, the stuttering, you know, the, the, the no way could you really, you know, conceptualize the reality of the moment. And I think mm -hmm. that the, the amazing drama of the series is that, like I said before, it's so on the nose, right? The first season, Logan is sick. We, we have known that Logan has had health problems. That's why the whole implication was there of success session, right? That's why we've had all these conversations, all the jockeying for position, but it almost did not feel human when we talked about it, right? Obviously, like, it was there, but th this was the first time that there was the human elephant, you know, element of this whole thing. And then, you know, the elephant in the room with the whole conversation now is that we don't have the main foil of the show, yeah. right? I mean, that he he is, you know, Brian Cox, the actor himself, and obviously Logan Roy. Now it's everyone's like, what do we do? How do we pick up the pieces? And I think that was the other part. We were not only did you grieve, you know, as you were watching, you know, as you make the personal connection for yourself, but you grieve a character that has been so, you know, close to us and, and we've had even though he's the villain, right? He was one of the ones that you know, we almost were cheering for. He was like an anti-hero of sorts. Yeah, so you couldn't be more right. I think the show gets the opportunity to do something that's really interesting now. Mm. Logan represented so much of what that world uh, came to be defined by. He represented the, you know, the excess. He represented the power. He represented the, the allure of it. And just to suck him out of that world and then watch everybody else scramble and try to see, like, number one, if they even want to be him, if, and then number two, if they even could be him, is going to be an amazing 
journey to go on in these next episodes. Because remember, it's easy to look at Logan and go, okay, that's just kind of a messed up guy that has all of that. But once he's gone, all the structures that make that world possible still remain. And then, like, who's going to want to be that? Like, who's mm. going to survive that? It's almost, it's literally like when the king dies. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the, I saw Andy Greenwald, one of our coworkers, made a great point. He was like, what is the universe without the sun? Right. So we just took the sun out of the universe and now we're all fumbling and trying to figure out what that looks like, um, which gets to our prop culture of the week, which is the succession plan for Waystar Royco, Royco, um, moving forward. What does it look like? So I have some, I have some odds. This is, this is how I set it in my mind for you, Van. So here we go. We're going to run through it. Kendall Roy, Roman Roy, Siobhan Roy, all at plus 250. I think that they have equal odds to take over right there, the family members. So I have them all there together as the favorites. Moving down, Jerry, Jerry Kelman, who's obviously, you know, was the interim CEO. She uh-huh. also was fired at the at the beginning of this episode um, or was supposed to be, right? That was one of Logan's fat last uh, wishes, right, for Roman to go do that. She's plus 400. We have Tom Wasgams, who is the chairman of ATN, who obviously became Logan's right-hand man, right, uh, you know, as things were unfolding there he's going to be a plus 450 we have frank frank vernon who he's been there for 40 years he's seen everything long long time time. right seniority's at play there he's at plus 750 speaking of seniority we got carl mueller who is uh, the cfo plus 800 he obviously is in that you know connected group we have cousin greg Greg Hirsch, uh, who's an executive assistant, <laughs> have him at plus ten thousand, um, uh-huh. and then we you can take all the all three Roy kids getting it together for plus six hundred, or you could take the field at plus nine hundred. Where are you leaning? What do you what do you expect to see in the fallout here? And uh, this is kind of the crux of the show, and now we're going to actually see it all play out, which is insane. Did you not even have Connor on there, or did I miss it? Connor is not on there. He is part of the field, so you could take Connor <laughs> at plus nine hundred. Oh, poor Connor. I, I think Connor might be the president, right? That, that's, that's where Connor, his focus is on the presidency. Yeah, his, yeah Connor's not, he's not on the board. So, yeah. It's he's got to win yeah. Alaska, Van. He's got to win yeah, Alaska, okay? It's true. He's got to win Alaska. Um, uh, You know what? It, the smart money, obviously, is on one of the kids. It's mm-hmm. interesting to me that you have the kids at all the same odds. What is the thinking there in all the same odds? Because I would say that they're even favorites amongst the three children here, the three Roy kids. You don't think that you wouldn't put maybe Kendall and Shiv as slight favorites over Roman? I, I, I've i worked it back in my head a little bit because, like, obviously at certain moments in time, and, and obviously Logan is not always a trusted narrator in the series, especially <laughs> when he is, you know, right. trying to set the kids up to turn against each other. So you can never really know where he curries favor. But he's told Shiv before, you're the one I really wanted. He obviously has told Kendall, you're the chosen one. You're the one who's supposed to take over. And then, you know, at the end, right, he's got – he's calling him Romulus. He's got Roman. He's like, you're the one that's actually on my side. I've always known that right so I, I just felt like Logan had kind of sprinkled you know his, his you know love and affection pretty equally amongst them and the fact that they are together theoretically and you know we've seen them say multiple times we're in this together I kind of think of them as a package but I, I also you. think that it can break you know obviously because we already saw Roman tinkering on both sides of the line anyway but that's yeah. why I had them even do you think that there is a favorite do you think Kendall I feel like most people think Kendall is the favorite I feel like most. I feel like Kendall would be the favorite here. It seemed that Kendall took the reins, mm-hmm. um, 
in the immediate aftermath of Logan's death, the only question becomes what has happened between the kids? Because remember, this is a much different group of kids than it was in the first or even the second season. There's this solidarity between them now. What has happened between them? And uh, since since they've uh, formed their little unit, right, uh, to go up against right. their father, and if that survives it, because, you know, we have outside influences and stuff. I got to look at all of those people. So those underlings, of all of them, I think Tom is the biggest threat. Mm-hmm. Plus 450. Plus 450. Outside of the kids, which it seems natural that one of the kids would step up to the plate, I think Tom is the biggest threat. I would love it if it were Greg some kind of way, but I just don't think that member of the Discussing Brothers has done the groundwork <laughs> to, to to rise to the top of Waysor Rico. Um, but I think Tom is the one. I think he's the one you have to pay attention to because it would be such... It would be such a devastatingly swarmy, slimy thing for him to get to that perch. He's mm. perfect to the perfect person to go to war against the, the kids because he's adjacent to them, but not really one of them. He's also the perfect fall guy for the other people in um, the, those other higher ups because Maybe they don't want to step out in front. Maybe they want they want to have somebody that they can ritually kill in case things go bad. Um, so if it's not any of the kids, which I think they're the glaring favorites here, like you have it, I, I would say that that Tom would be the one that I would have my eye on. And if you watch the preview of next, you know, the next episode, right? Tom basically says, I throw my hat in the ring and, you know, Jerry kind of, you know, negs him a little bit and says like, you know, here's all the reasons why you wouldn't be the guy. But again, you know, we, we, do we trust our narrators also? Do we trust the previews and things like that? So you would assume I have a theory for you, which I'm, you mentioned, you know, the iron throne, the King, right? I feel like there's a little bit maybe of a parallel connection between here and game of Thrones. And I'm going to call this the brand theory because it was so in our face that maybe we all overlooked it and you brought him up already but i think cousin greg even though i have him at plus ten thousand, i think there is a weird world in which cousin greg actually is the guy because why else would he even be here why would cousin greg be a part of this journey for so long why was he necessary why was he you know a part of this story and i think weirdly with the little sexual rendezvous that he had right and he told logan about it then we see logan go to this cafe where he's like basically i don't have my kids anymore and greg's like confessing to him some of his close things that that are happening to him personally i feel like greg is close enough he is family and i think greg weirdly has learned enough from the slimy ways of tom that there is a world in which maybe he ends up in the will as the one who takes over waystar royko and he is the one who ends up being the successor and then all of a sudden tom has to suck up to greg that flips that entire dynamic that's always Mm -hmm. existed right now greg's his boss um and and i'm calling it the brand theory because it might upset a lot of people but it almost feels like it it might be too on the nose and right in front of our faces am i crazy to think that cousin greg has a chance here no, you know what? Early on in the show, I when the show was specifically about, you know, the show became about a lot more stuff than just who was going to uh, right, succeed of uh, um, um, Logan Roy. It became about a lot of their interpersonal relationships, their problems, and all that stuff. But when the show was more directly about that, I thought, well, this guy would kind of be the guy that in some kind of way slides in there. And what we haven't heard from, who who we haven't heard from yet, uh, and I'm assuming that we will in the coming episodes, is his father. 
right? Mm. Who's had an estranged, very, very, very tough relationship um, with his brother, um, or is his grandfather, should I say? His grandfather, who is played by James Cromwell, who's had that relationship with, with, like, with his brother. And so we'll see kind of what goes on there, like how that works and like what happens with that, because there might actually be a takeover or some kind of direct way that he could move up the ladder there. I think it would be very interesting. Those are our succession odds. All right, final answer, Van. Who 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 do you think is going to take over? Who would be your final answer right now? And you can change. You know, you, we can always but, change. Things but, happen. I, the worst thing about me is when it comes down to something that you know a lot about, which is the NCAA tournament. I'm a blue blood. I love I'm it. I'm a top seed darling. Me too. So I'm going with the one seed, and that's Kendall Roy. There you, you go. Know, I sure could. Could FAU get in there? Could George Mason ruin the final four? You know what I mean? Could you have a final game that only Tate watches? Sure. Like, you, like, like, like any of those things can happen, but I'm going with Ken. I like that. I like that pick. And it feels like Kendall, he has obviously been groomed for this moment in time. And like you said, he right. took the reins over um, in the aftermath. I mean, he goes and gets Shiv, right? He kind of became the de facto leader of, you know, the children at that point. So I think that's a great pick. I'm leaning Roman. I, I think that there's a world gotcha. in which that Logan uh, decides that Roman is going to be the guy. And I think Roman's going to think about it and say he wants all three of them to do it together. So I think all the kids are actually going to end up on the same side. And maybe they just take the money and go buy Pierce and do what they were planning to do right at the start of the yeah. season. So anyway, yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. Man. Speaking of drama, this is drama not in a television show. This is drama on Twitter, which you and I obviously have to deal with a lot with our jobs. You and I are both sure. on Twitter and, and see uh-huh. a lot of this. Um, right now, what's happening um, on Run It Back, basically, Spencer Didwinny uh, of the Brooklyn Nets went on Run It Back today, which is a fellow FanDuel TV show. Um, he was asked about Kyle Kuzma. You know, he made some comments, and now Kuzma's doing a thread on Twitter. I don't know if you've seen any of this drama, but since I had you here, I, j- I just figured I'd ask you, um, how much do we uh, indulge in these types of things? online or and how much of this is just ridiculous entertainment you know how how much are you engaging in this content i i tate i love the bullshit. <laughs> it, 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 you know like so this is the thing about the nba football is king the nfl mm-hmm. is king right but right. the nba is a unique package it's essentially the real housewives with three pointers yep it's literally these guys and what they get into and the fact that we get to know them so well we get to know these NBA athletes so well we get to know their personal dress styles we get to know uh, the women they date on a high level we get to know all of the innuendo and the trainers it's just a much much more accessible game than any other sport that, that we have and it also means that sometimes they get into these amazing spats (laughs) Who would have thought today that Kyle Kuzma and Spencer Dinwiddie would be going at it? And this is fun because what I like to do is that I like to go back and I like to watch old games. And I'd be like, yo, did he not give him that look right there because they don't like each other? Look look Mm. him, look him off. Look at him, look him off. Oh, they're not. I I like to. And it just makes the game now. It's like you'll get a uh, you'll get a Christmas Day game where their teams match up because the league is messy. The league the, the league sees the beef and they see the drama and they go, you know what? We want to make sure these teams meet in the the highest leverage situation that we uh, can 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 create. 
And I remember this back in the day. It was the Kobe Shaq thing. And then it was the Heat versus the Lakers on Christmas Day. And all that happened was poor, young Andrew Bynum got bullied by Shaq. Right. <laughs> remember that whole thing? Oh, so, yeah. That, that, was, that was quite a moment in time because Shaq's like, I'm going to get my ring. You know, and he <laughs> comes back home and Andrew Bynum, yeah. He got the worst of it. Like, he was ta- he was taking out his frustration on Kobe, but he took he took it all out on, all, Andrew on Andrew Bynum. And so <laughs> when I look at this, this, this is some real petty <laughs> This is, they, like, like they, they are really going at it. They're talking about each other's money. They're talking about how much people got traded. Look at this. Oh, and what world have you won in this league? You've been bounced around like a basketball, my boy. Mm. This is real housewives right. of the Potomac. This is like, throw a drink in my face. This is like, you didn't slept with every man in this club. You didn't bounce around like a basketball? That's something that Giselle would say. And I'm not yeah. even dissing Kyle Kuzma. I'm like, I'm just saying, this is the kind of stuff that on uh, a random Wednesday, when we got playing games tonight, that like almost only the NFL can give you, unless it's cornerbacks and receivers, because they're the divas of their sport. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I'm at the point where I feel like Andy Cohen should come in and do an NBA show, and it's like watch what <laughs> happens live with Andy Cohen, and he sits down with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and everybody, and they just vent. You know what I mean? It's like Vanderpump Rules all over again. Uh, I think that's a great point. I love the drama. He is Van Lathan of Higher Learning. Where else can they find you, Van? Uh, before we let you get out of here, uh, Higher Learning every Friday and every Tuesday, mm. and of course the Ringerverse pew pew with the rest of my uh, uh, midnight boys um over on the ringerverse podcast feed thank you very much there, Tate. there you go appreciate you van thanks for coming on the show man no problem man. 